Today we'll be discussing the new Star Trek TV show, Strange New Worlds. And we'll be discussing the neurologic disease, dopa-responsive dystonia. This is Doctor vs. Comedian. I'm Dr. Asif Doja, and this is the Doctor of Laughs. Not a real doctor. Ali Hassan. Every episode, I pick a topic for Ali from comedy and entertainment, and I question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic for medicine and health and grills me on that topic. Today, we'll discuss the new Star Trek TV show, Strange New Worlds, a show which Ali has a connection to. And we'll be discussing the neurologic disease, dopa responsive dystonia. Actually, it's interesting, Ali, both of these topics, you know, we try and connect them. This is the loosest connection ever. But both of them <laughs> involve me and you being on television. In yeah. each of the separate stories. Crazy. That's about all we got for you guys in terms of <laughs> relating them. Let's get into it's it. Pretty good. Pretty good. Okay, so Ali, I wanted to talk to you about this new show, Strange New Worlds, which is the new Star Trek TV show. In America, it's on the Paramount Plus Network, and then here in Canada, it's on Crave. So how do you want to start this? Do you want to start off with just our kind of recollections of Star Trek as a whole? Then we'll talk about how you're involved. Yeah, well, I want to start by saying Paramount Plus, that's a bit of a niche Network yeah. to have such a fantastic show on. Come on, well, man. Oops, we'll get, I spoiled we'll, it. It's a fantastic show. Oh, well, we'll get into this in a second. But Paramount Plus, the main way they're trying to get subscribers is through Star Trek because there are one, two, three, four, five, five or so Star Trek shows on Paramount. So they're really hoping the Star Trek fan base is the people going to be subscribing to it. Thankfully, we Nerds don't have to subscribe unite. to some. Yeah. Lay network to get it here in Canada. Okay, so yeah, tell us about your connection to Star Trek as a whole. Well, my connection to Star Trek is you, dude, obviously. That's I don't know if we talked about that on this show before, but we would go to Nepean, Ontario, Barhaven, mm-hmm. if you must know, where uh, Asif lived in the outskirts of Ottawa. You have to drive past a cornfield in those days to get to Asif's house. Yeah, now it's, like, no now it's like its own city. But anyway, but back in the day, nobody lived there. So back in the day, this was like a big deal for us. Every few months, we would make a little trip from Montreal to Ottawa. And every few months, Asif and his family would make a trip to uh, our place. And as kids, you know, going to Asif's place was way better. Then mm-hmm. also coming to our house. I think we have to admit you had Count Chocula cereal. Mm-hmm, you had Booberry mm-hmm. at least once. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. We've we covered this on the podcast. Dessert yeah. cereals. And my favorite memory is actually, so my second favorite memory is Saturday morning cartoons with those cereals. Mm-hmm. And then my favorite memory is Star Trek on Sunday mornings. It was the Star Trek TOS, it's called, right? The original series, the original one. And it's like, God forbid bid my mother or father were like okay we should leave early on sunday and head out i'd be like not till star trek is over obviously mm-hmm. and i'm not even man i'm not even that much of a sci-fi guy to be honest i've i've tried i get lost i'm not smart enough for sci-fi really but something about that show looped me in by the way do you know how many seasons of that show there are you must know us the original series three seasons yeah yeah, that's I it. thought there were like sixteen. I, I thought there were like sixteen I seasons I when know. I was young. I thought I there were there was an endless. I mean, dude, three seasons. I, I felt like I I was always a new episode. I felt mm-hmm. like every single time I watched it was a new episode until like you know years later. I was like, oh, I've seen this one. I've seen this one. But back in those days, I don't feel like we were ever doing a. I've seen this one. I don't mm-hmm. know. It felt like there was just a endless, bottomless pit of episodes. But yeah, it was only three seasons, which is crazy. But that's my best memory of Star Trek. And of course, I mean, who was cooler than William Shatner? William Shatner, Captain Kirk, and the Fonz, right? Like these mm-hmm. were like the coolest guys from those eras. And then we in the 70s, 80s got to watch those dudes in the 80s, I guess, watch those dudes in syndication. And the the cool remained. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I have the same fond memories of this show. I used to watch it with my dad when you weren't around. That and Doctor Who were my dad's like favorite 
shows. So yeah. he always had a sci-fi bent. So, you know, I've seen every Star Trek movie with my dad, actually. That's a, like a classic thing we would go to together. And yeah, I can remember sitting in my family room, you know, sun beaming down on a Sunday morning slash early afternoon watching these things and getting caught up in all these Star Trek episodes. Yep, I love Star Trek. I'm a bigger Star Wars fan. I know that there's a nerd uh, <laughs> disagreement Hierarchy. between people. Uh, nerd disagreement, I, I, yeah. They're very different. They're very different. You know, Star Trek is more cerebral. Star Wars is a bit more kind of action-packed. But Star Trek has definitely been around longer, as you said. We're talking about the late 60s when the first show was on, and now we're talking about a new show in 2022. So definitely been around longer than Star Wars. Star Trek we, had to be more cerebral, by the way, with that low-budget technology that yeah. they had. Yeah. You're, you know, sometimes you're like, I think somebody in like a science lab in their junior high school could do these <laughs> special effects <laughs> when he's fighting that little sort of mini Godzilla. What was that? That creature's name? Dude, okay. Well, Kong hold was... on, hold on. You're going to, because I know you want to ask me my favorite episode. So we're going to talk about I that do. in a second. That was a selfish move on my part. That was really just to justify me going down a Star Trek rabbit hole. And revisiting these descriptions, oh, okay, because I don't okay. have it top of mind. Okay, well, I will tell you. So, because so Ali, okay. yeah, Ali texted me. He's like, we should talk about our two favorite episodes, and of course, he doesn't have two right away. But I'll tell you two of my favorites in a second. So, well, I'll tell you now. One, one of them is the one you're talking about, which is Arena, which is easily my favorite Star Trek episode of all time because it actually is action packed. So that's where right. the Enterprise is pursuing this other ship that's populated by the Gorn, who are these, as you said, Godzilla-looking like humanoids. They're the same size yeah. as humans. And then this higher power says, you guys got to stop all this fighting. We're going to make you figure out your conflict now by taking Kirk and the leader of the Gorn and putting them on a planet and like, you guys fight to the death and then you'll just decide who wins in this conflict. And right. so that's what it is. It's them trying to and, and then Kirk has to like, anyway, I won't ruin it for people. It's so good. Ruin but he it makes, for people! He, he makes basically a... Spoiler alert! He he basically is able to make gunpowder and stuff and create a projectile device. It's so good. Oh, my God. What a great <laughs> – and apparently – so, I, by the way, there is a reference to the Gorn in the new Star Trek show. So, I think Listen, we're going to be man, seeing them soon. The new Star Trek yeah. is the gift that keeps on giving over and over to original Star Trek okay, fans. Yeah, Let me just yeah, say that. Yeah. Let me so just that's say a little – we'll get to that in a second. And the other – I mean, there's lots of great episodes. The Trouble with Tribbles is so good where the Tribbles kind of appear. Remind me about the Trouble with Tribbles. What Dude, that if the Tribbles are like these little furry things that they're just like oh, a, yeah. a, a furry cylinder <laughs> basically or <laughs> oval not- and they just appear everywhere and it's, it, it's like a hilarious episode. It's totally a comedy because they just keep multiplying and they overrun the ship and anyway it's it's so good that's so funny that those are your favorites like those oh, don't yeah. even rank in my top 10 oh my gosh i did and like arena i did like arena yeah. but yeah. and then there's the, the one that people say is probably the best episode of the original series is city on the edge of forever where yeah. basically they go back in time to i think 1930s and yeah it's it's depression era new york city right and mccoy is there and he ends up traveling back in time through this portal and they realize that him going back changes all of history. The Federation of Planets doesn't exist. So Kirk and Spock go back to try and figure out what happened. And it's the whole butterfly effect, right? They realize in the end that this one woman who Kirk falls in love with in the past is the key. Played by Joan Collins. Yeah. Yes. And, and the key is her. And without her influence is what changes the course of history. And so, but it's not that they have to save her is that they have to let her die. And that's kind mm-hmm. of the gravitas of that of that episode. Sorry to spoil a show that's you know, like No, no, no. Come on, but... man. It came out in the 50s, for God's sake. That 60s, that episode, yeah. 60s, that show, that episode specifically described as a heart-rending meditation on love, loss, and destiny. And that theme that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Yeah. And it's... I also, look, this is like proof about how a non-sci-fi I am. I love that episode. Why? Because they're in New York City. They're like with human beings. They're <laughs> out what, of the sci-fi You like world. Star Trek for the movie The Voyage Home where they go back to like the 80s to save the whales, right? You love that one, right? I out haven't even seen it, but I'm oh going to watch God. it tonight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the other one I love, which I is is Shore Leave. 
Do you remember Shore Leave? They go. You're watching. They they basically get a break. Now, later we learn it's because of budgetary constraints. <laughs> and that's why they had to do an episode. Like, we can't do an expensive episode on the Enterprise or whatever. But they go to this planet. It seems empty. It's idyllic. And then, basically, whatever each person, character, whatever they seem to think about in the moment whether it's, you know, love or danger mm-hmm. or whatever. Right, that's happens, what appears. Yeah. It's like right? Fantasy so, Island, basically. It's Fantasy Island, man. And we yeah. get to see... And by the way, Ricardo Montalban from Fantasy Island was yeah. on Star Trek. Right? Yeah, we'll talk about anyway, that again later. We'll talk about that too. So we see Dr. McCoy become this like flirtatious man mm. with all these women around him. <laughs> and he's got like this Southern charm. And then Kirk becomes lover and fighter and i don't know it was like it's described as a mix of humor suspense and sci-fi weirdness but it's really a breezy vacation getaway mm-hmm. and i loved it i love the fact that they're off the ship i don't know why that's that's also strange but then i think also one of my favorites is one called amok time i don't know if you remember amok time do you remember that i know it remind me of the plot okay so how do Vulcans choose their mates? Haven't you mm-hmm. wondered? This is what a traumatized Spock is. So because of their, you know, the, the, the Vulcans' obsession, not obsession, devotion to- uh, To logic. To logic. Yeah. No emotion, all logic. They must nevertheless undergo the ponfar. Do you remember that? Every seven years, mm-hmm. they have to mm-hmm. return home and take a mate. And if they don't, then the blood fever- Right, mad, and yeah, death. and that's what Which happens. Sounds the, like yeah. a case of not to use a medical term that might lose people, but it sounds like a case of extreme horniness. I believe. Do they use that in the biz? No. Anyway, so then Kirk has to disobey a direct order from Starfleet to attend this diplomatic event because his friend might die because of extreme horniness. Mm-hmm. And then they get Spock's wedding and all this kind of stuff. I don't know. I it, It's the first time also we hear live long and prosper. That's the Vulcan mm. hand salute. We meet these, right? So Yeah, anyway, I never liked Spock acting non-logical. And of course, Leonard Nemo, I'm sure, loved doing these ones, because oh, like yeah, these episodes, little, because he got to act of, differently, you know, when there was right. evil Spock and the mirror universe and things like that. I think he loved that because he always had to kind of be the same. But I'm not a huge fan of Spock, you know, showing emotion and stuff like that. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't like it. Okay. Okay. So let's get it. So I'll just give people a bit of a timeline to explain maybe what happened with Star Trek over the past like 50 years or so. So we had the original series, then it was canceled, but had this huge fan following shown in reruns. And then they said, okay, with the success of Star Wars, let's start making movies. So they started, they made Star Trek, the motion picture. Mm hmm. In the late 70s, and that followed with many sequels afterwards. They got up to, with the original crew, six sequels. And the uh, common kind of parlance is that every other movie is good. And the other, so the even number ones are good, and the odd number ones are are bad. Because the first even number one is The Wrath of Khan, which most people say is the best Star Trek movie. I loved it. Yeah. Then. By this time, they actually started Star Trek The Next Generation, which was the syndicated TV show, kind of appeared in the late 80s. So now we're in now two decades past the original series, and we have Star Trek The Next Generation. I think everybody's aware of that. That created other shows, Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Voyager, and then Star Trek Enterprise. And then the movies continued on with the Next Generation crew. Once their show was over, they continued on with that. And then I think, I don't know if people just got tired of Star Trek or what happened and it it kind of, the TV shows kind of got canceled and then nothing happened for a while. And then they had J.J. Abrams reboot the Star Trek movies and he made three movies and that was with Chris Pine as Kirk and then the rest of the cast that I think people are familiar with. It's interesting. Now, J.J. Abrams didn't watch Star Trek when he was growing up. He was a Star Wars fan and... Back in the in the mid two thousands, there was no idea about a new Star Wars coming up. So he's like, "Well, this is the next best thing." And he made Star Trek kind of like Star Wars, okay, try to make so it a bit more action. It? I thought was it was. Exactly I thought, I thought they're good. I think they're good. I think J.J. Abrams did a better job with Star Trek than he did with Star Wars. Actually, hilarious in my opinion. But I, th- I thought they were good. I thought the acting's great. Like they were a lot of fun. And then basically. 
Paramount, you know, a lot because they're having this new streaming service said, okay, we should probably start making new Star Treks. So that's when these new Star Trek TV shows came about. The ones that are out now are Discovery, Picard, this new one, Strange New Worlds, and there's an animated one, and then another one that's kind of for kids. So that's why there's so many shows going on now. I'll talk a bit about, in a bit more detail, Picard and Discovery when we talk about our thoughts about Strange New Worlds. But finally, I can reveal Ali's connection to the show is he is actually going to be featured on an upcoming episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds as an actor. So tell us about that whole, tell us about the whole thing. I couldn't believe it when you told me. Well, first of uh, all, a few months you ago. will address me as Lieutenant Commander Hansen Al-Salah from here. Ah, <laughs> my wife's first question was, oh, does he have to do an Indian accent? No, it's like, you know what it is? It's like that, uh, it's like that way that nobody really speaks, but you fully accept it in movies sometimes, you know, like, like Kirk didn't speak like a normal, that wasn't right. normal, but yeah. it was, it was sort of rigid and sort of performative, but you kind of, anyway, I, I, I had to mess around with it a little bit, like, and it's uh, Al Salah is the last name, so it could have been a little Middle Eastern, but then I was like, no, I think I'll just. Is it kind of like you're trying to speak in like the fake British accent that some Indian people try to speak in? Is that what it's kind of no. going on? No, no, it's not that. A form of Shakespearean, but not with a British accent. I don't know. Okay, well, anyway, tell us about it. How did this all come about? Man, I was in. Newfoundland and I was, gosh, we, I had like three or four days on a show called Hudson and Rex, also very, very popular show, very happy to be on it. However, it was right during the tail end of this huge lockdown in the province of Newfoundland. And so Newfoundland, for people who don't know, is an island. They were very strict with their rules for for a long time because once you get COVID on the island, it would spread and, you know, take out, is it, well, elderly population as well, a lot of immunocompromised people. Some of the, I believe between Quebec and Newfoundland, these are the places that have the best heart specialists, right? This is what I had heard. Like if you're in the okay. cardiovascular field, you practice there because you'll get a lot of work because of the diets oh, both see. in Quebec right. okay. and in Newfoundland, right? So in any case, they were quite strict. So what happened was we got there right before July 1st, and July 1st, things were going to open up. But because we were like a few days before July 1st or like a few weeks before July 1st, we had to remain in isolation, basically. So we had this house we were in. It's like a bed and breakfast, but it's a massive house. It mm. was like a manor. And myself and and my, my, my soon-to-become friend, Natalie Brown, fantastic actor in, in Canada here, who's on a lead on a show called Sophie, we were the two constants. Other people would come and go two, three days and they would leave and we would, and Natalie and I became like the Lord and lady of the manor. We're welcoming people in, we're cooking for them. Anyway, and so we were losing our minds. We were really losing our minds. Just three weeks in one house. You couldn't leave except mm -hmm. to go to set. If you were on set, otherwise you're not mm -hmm. allowed to leave. Mm -hmm. You remain in isolation. Mm -hmm. So I get this audition for Star Trek and uh, <laughs> I have a reader. The lady, the lady of the manor is there. Oh, yeah, like, you have sure, a professional I'll, actress. I have a professional uh, yeah. actress. So I give her credit as well. You know, I was just like, I don't know. I, I, I was struggling with it. I, was, I didn't think I was doing a particularly good job. And, you know, she was like, this is great. No, you totally did a good job. There's one scene that's really, really involved. Like it, it requires some physicality and, you know, there's, it's, it's like, Without spoiling it, you know, there's a lot going on in the background. So to recreate that in a self-tape mm -hmm. is awkward. It takes like mm -hmm. a real stretch of the imagination. <laughs> it's like so you have to act almost. It's like you have to act. And all those things around you, those external things are not there to mm -hmm. feed you, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So it was like kind of a weird audition. I didn't think I did particularly well, but, you know, I guess Natalie's coaching and my own insanity that I was going through. I got the role and my agent, Ryan, is also a massive Star Wars, Star Trek nerd. So he was super excited and I only shared it with one person and that was you. Mm -hmm. And the reason is because you understand, you know, doctor patient confidentiality, <laughs> yeah. you've taken an oath. I think that, you know, we'll, we, you'll observe the same thing with me, but I also shared it with you because we have that connection of Star Trek mm -hmm. and show so I stare I shared two pictures. One was of the Starship Enterprise, what do you call it? The, the deck. The, the, yeah. the deck. 
Yeah. The deck was unbelievable. Dude, I don't get starstruck. I really don't. I treat people like human beings. I was starstruck by the set. I was like, this is the wildest stuff ever. I can't believe I'm on the deck right now. This is insane. And then, of course, I sent you a picture of myself in the Star Trek uniform mm -hmm. in those tights. Yeah, you're in the yellow, I, I yellow in, uniform. I, yeah, Yellow uniform. I really filled it in, too, unfortunately. I didn't do it justice. <laughs> Captain Kirk was always in great shape. But anyway, Hanson al-Salah was eating a little too much hummus and pita. Intergalactic hummus and pita? I don't know. Uh, that, that's what I said. That's the story. That's the backstory I gave myself. But it was like a, a strange new audition. I really didn't think I had it. And then I, I got it. And it was a couple of days on set. And it was, you know, got to meet this this wonderful cast. These, these This cast is not only one uh, like phenomenal actors. They are so camera friendly. They are just beautiful human beings mm -hmm, and on camera mm -hmm. even more so. Yeah. And it makes for a show. I was, you know, the nature of acting is such that you do the gig and then who knows, a year, 18 months later, it'll come out, right? So you kind of have to set it and forget it mm -hmm. to borrow from a uh, infomercial from years ago. You just got to do it. I was really anxious to see this. I have mm -hmm. to say that I was like this really sucks that I can't see what this looks like. Not my role in particular, just the show. Just the show, yeah. Just the show, just the texture of it, man, the look of it. I was like, I want to see what this looks like. And man, it did not disappoint. It did not disappoint. It's so beautifully shot. It's so beautifully shot. Never watch this on your phone. Mm -hmm. I'm going to urge people to watch it on a slightly bigger screen at least. It's really quite something to see. And as I was saying, there's all these like, Things they were like, you know, if you're going to be in, in this show, you should watch the two-parter, the menagerie, the only two-part mm -hmm. episode of right. the original Star Trek. Yeah. Okay. So now now enter Asif Doja with his actual knowledge. So we'll we'll get into that in a second. No, but any other advice they gave you that's really interesting because they're trying to tell you how to get prepared for what this exactly is. And I'll go through it in a second, where this falls into the Star Trek lore. They recommended we watch the menagerie, but they, I wouldn't say they obliged us. It wasn't mandatory, but it was strongly suggested that we watch Balance of Terror because this particular episode I was in and the show in general is connected to that episode of Balance and Terror and Balance and this of is Terror. the original, original series. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. And can you tell us, is your character going to come back again or are you, you can't say anything like that? I can't say anything, but I okay. probably not. Let's not be too excited. Let <laughs> okay, me just say okay. that. Yes. Okay. So let me give everybody a bit of a background on this show because you have to kind of figure where it takes place. So jumping off what I was saying before. Star Trek movies and TV shows were in a lull. They decided to start Star Trek Discovery. So the creator of that, of the Star Trek Discovery is Alex Kurtzman. And he created Star Trek Discovery. What they chose kind of an interesting way of doing it. They weren't like the next generation takes place after the original series. And most of the other shows take place after the original series. But what they, they wanted to have a show that took place before the original series. Origin story almost, if you will. Yes. Yeah, sure. Yes. And so the main character on this show, Discovery, is Michael Burnham, who is the first black female uh, captain of a, of a starship. She's the main character. She's not the captain at the beginning. And there's a very roundabout way where she ends up eventually becoming the captain. And she's the adopted sister of Spock. So that's kind of a retcon that she's the adopted sister of Spock. So Spock appears in the show and basically that's what takes place. Star Trek Discovery overall is, it's a show, I, I've talked about shows like this, it's a show I watch while doing something else, either doing work, folding laundry. You cannot pay attention to it fully because it makes Why no sense. It doesn't, because oh. it, it falls apart and some things are lame in it. So you have to be doing something else while you're watching it. The one thing that really bothers me, which is very different than Strange New Worlds, is the technology looks brand new. It's like the most fascinating special effects and technology on the ships that they're on, which is called the USS Discovery. But the problem is 
Like this is supposed to take place at the time of the original series, actually before the original series. So why does everything look so much more sophisticated? There is a bit of like you just have to kind of accept that, obviously, because like sure. we're we're fifty years away from that. But still, it did bother. The me more quite a you bit. say things like this, the more I realize that this new Star Trek: Strange New Worlds was designed exactly exactly. For so that's why I'm I'm preparing yeah. everybody for this. Yeah, it has some real. The three main characters are really really well done. The peripheral characters. You're, you're still talking like, about discovery. I'm still talking about discovery. So I yeah. still watch the show kind of out of a sense of obligation. <laughs> I want to know what's going on, but, but it's not bad. Now they end up jumping to the future and, and leaving the, the past. So now they're in the distant, distant future of the Federation and things like that. So that's, that was a better idea. I think for them, I think the first couple seasons weren't that favorable. There's also another show, Star Trek Picard, which features Jean Luc Picard. And it was actually written by Michael Chabon. I don't know if you know Michael Chabon. He it was he wrote that, The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. He's a very famous author. And he wrote the first season of Picard, which is, again, The Return of Jean-Luc Picard. That show is also not very good. Uh, other than Patrick Stewart, it's not good. But all this to say, Akiva Goldsman took over Picard, and he was the showrunner, co-showrunner, I believe. And when he actually heard about Star Trek Discovery, he's like, oh, this is going to be talking about the original series, like, and Christopher Pike. And they're like, no, it's not. And so he was a bit disappointed. And then this opportunity came about. So Christopher Pike appears on Star Trek Discovery. So who is Christopher Pike? At the very, very end. In season two. Okay. And, and so him and Spock and, and number one, who is the first officer on Pike's Enterprise, who's pre- played by Rebecca Romaine. You met her, I'm assuming, on, on the set. Yes, I did. Yeah, I had yeah. a scene with her. Yeah. So, did I ask about John Stamos? Yes, I did. Inappropriate. So, because yep. she just goes by Romaine, not Romaine Stamos anymore. Anyway, so <laughs> I'm in love with her husband. What do you want from me? <laughs> oh, there we go. Good looking man. So, Akiva Goldsman was really interested in telling the story of Christopher Pike. So, he, uh, so again, this whole crew appeared in season two of Star Trek, but people, the fans were like, we should have their own series. So, that's what happened. So, the question is, who is Christopher Pike and what's his relation to Kirk and Spock and everybody? So, this is such a weird thing that happened. They initially, back in the 60s, filmed a different pilot for Star Trek with the captain not being Kirk, but being Christopher Pike. Right. They had the Spock. The only actor you yeah. would recognize would have been Leonard Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy. Who, so Spock right. stayed right. the same. Otherwise, everything else changed. The yeah. set was similar. And so they retooled the pilot and then made the actual pilot for Star Trek. But they thought, well, we should use some of those scenes. How could we do that? So basically, they say in the storyline of Star Trek that Christopher Pike was the original captain of the Enterprise. And then eventually Mm. something happened. He relinquished his command. And so this comes to the menagerie, which is this two-parter in it. So basically what happens in that episode is Spock basically defies Starfleet orders to help Christopher Pike. And Christopher Pike is horribly scarred, cannot speak. He's in kind of an almost an iron lung, a mobile iron lung. And Spock is defying orders to help his old captain. And it flashes back to that original episode and mm. and what happened in that unaired pilot. And you actually see scenes from that. So that's basically where Pike comes from. So in Star Trek lore, people know who Christopher Pike is. And so this period of time where Spock was working with Pike before he was horribly scarred is the basis for Star Trek Strange New Worlds. So that's kind of where we're, we're at right now. So it's a modern series occurring right now, but taking place before that. And so this is what, Ali, I think you were talking about. The first thing I was struck by the show as well, It does. it's filmed very well, directed amazingly well. Akiva Goldsman, by the way, is the writer. I think he directed some episodes too. He wrote A Beautiful Mind. So this guy is a good writer. Mm. He knows what he's doing. And so basically the premise of the show is the adventures of Pike and Spock and number one, which is played by Rebecca Romaine and the rest of their crew, basically doing the similar thing which the first original series did, exploring strange new worlds, seeking out new life, first contact with with other people. So what did you think about this new – we both watched the pilot episode. What did you think? Yeah. Man, I uh, I really loved it. I, I felt like it was such a beautiful tribute to the original, which is what its intention was, as I understood mm-hmm. it. And it really did a good job. And I just felt, you know, some of the lines from Captain Pike – 
were like uh, were moving. I was like, "Am I getting emotional mm-hmm. here? What's happening?" I was really like, uh, "This is this must be my my latent nerd." <laughs> it's so funny you, you know, said that. I dormant. got emotional too, yeah. and we, we can talk maybe yeah. about this indirectly, maybe about the specific scene that did that. But yeah, I, it was the same way. Yeah, so I mean, it, it, the show moved me. I found it beautiful. It was like kind of worth the wait. I found that these characters just sang on screen and using, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting balance. And you you can you can see if you really analyze it why it went wrong all those years, mm-hmm. or not went wrong, but why it wasn't as what the challenges were, right? You have all this new technology, but you're trying to pay tribute to something that's from the 1960s. And how do you, so this is just this incredible balance of all this beautiful CGI technology and these other, you know, effects that we have access to, but still so beautifully connected. It's like taking the original show and it was in black and white. And then all of a sudden like, right. That's a really color, good way of doing color it. But up, without you know, taking like away kind of, the, the sets and it, it's, and it's, the it's very well it, done. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, I agree with you. I think it was really good. It's easily the best Star Trek thing I've seen in, I don't know, like years and years. You know, I, I said, I like the new movies. I, I would argue this is better than those new JJ Abrams movies. Mm. I really, really enjoyed it. So just to recap a couple things, we have Anson Mount, very good looking man, <laughs> playing Christopher Pike. Obscene, Obscene I mean, yeah. It's crazy. Ethan Peck playing Spock does a good job with Spock. And then there's some minor characters from the original series who show up. Nurse Chapel has an expanded role in this. A huge female cast. Like the crew is like 75 to 80% female, which is a nice change from the original series. Sure. And, you know, the other thing about this show in the 60s, it was so inherently diverse. Right, mm-hmm. Uhuru, yeah. Chekhov, Sulu, even McCoy yeah. with his Scottish, deeply yeah. Scottish roots, felt like diverse. And Leonard Nimoy, I mean, it was it was diversity at its best, and we never questioned it. It was because it was, you know, by the way, in the like, future, he, Ali is confusing McCoy and Scotty. Scotty, uh, the sorry, Scottish. what did I just I mean, say? McCoy sorry, as well, yes, yes. but but Scotty had the accent. I'm talking about right? in the TOS. It yeah. was Scotty exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I just it was like inherently organically diverse. Organically because they understood that in the future there will be so much intermixing and mingling of of, of cultures that of course Of course it's not not going to be an issue. Yeah. Yeah. Uhura actually is in the show. She's in she's like a cadet basically in the new show. So Yeah, she, yeah, yeah. You, you I see young. her Enthusiastic yeah. cadet. Yeah. And then there's some some kind of Easter eggs in the show. Uh, they talk about the Gorn who was in that episode Arena that I love. So I think they're going to be back. baby Godzilla, and, as I call. And it. did you catch Ali, the person who plays the the new first officer for the first kind of half of this episode? Yes. Her name is Lan Noonan Singh, and yeah. Noonan Singh is the last name of Khan, the Khan, of Khan play, yeah, played yeah. by Ricardo yeah. Montalban. So Maltabon, basically, Khan's daughter. Khan is you know considered to be one of the major protagonists in Star Trek history. So his daughter is a Starfleet officer. They explain why that is in the show, but that that mm. was very good. And and the premise of this episode is basically there's been first contact made with a new planet, and the rule is they're only allowed to make contact with the planet when they achieve warp technology. So this planet kind of achieves warp technology, but they're more like Earth right now in 2022. So how did they achieve warp technology? It's a bit of a mystery and what happens. And it it has to do with kind of a civil war on the planet. And that's what they're going to investigate. But what kind of got me choked up is they imply that Anyway, they kind of reference current events basically mm. in this thing in a, in a very interesting way. And I like that. I'm like, oh, wow. Like he's making some interesting points about how we're living today and the potential of a civil war. And, you know, maybe that's a bit far fetched, but that's what they kind of get. It. Is that what that's you were all. getting at when you were talking about? Yeah, what you yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. And it was well done. Like, I couldn't tell, is this cheesy? But I'm just like, channeling my youth here and getting emotional yeah. or is this really well done you're obviously the wrong guy to ask because you have the right same the experience same, yeah. i did but we'll put it out there and ask people who have watched it tell us what your opinion on the show was yeah i think if you're a star trek fan who has been lapsed i would definitely check out this show i mean if you are if you hate sci-fi and stuff i'm not gonna like make my wa- wife watch it i think if she watched an episode like beside me on the couch when she was doing something else i think she would like it but this is a 
pay attention TV show. It's not it a really Star Trek Discovery or Star Trek Picard where I do something else and have it on the background. This is this is a good show. Like I, I really I recommend people check it out. What I'm not sure of is how to approach this with my kids, right? Like my daughters might not have this interest. Actually, my 16 year old might. My sons, I would love, for, but but there's so much background to mm-hmm. feed them. You know, like with somebody who has no Star Trek knowledge, will they enjoy it or they'll just be like, eh, it's I, cool. I, I think this would be the best one to introduce them to because it's like a okay. brand new crew and then they'll kind of figure out. Somebody by the name of Kirk appears at the end of the this pilot episode and is mentioned before, but you'll see what happens on, on the show. So I don't know. I don't think you have to know that. Very curious. You know, I think most of the reviews we've read – are from people who know about Star Trek and have watched Star Trek. So, yeah, I, I, I think this out of all of them would be the one, this or maybe the J.J. Abrams' first movie as mm. an introduction for the kids. Okay. Well, it's great. Give it a watch and let us know what you think. Right. Now, speaking of boldly going where no one has gone before, Asif Doja went to the TV. He went to the TV. <laughs> He's a TV star as well, as he suggested from the beginning of the show. Asif, you were talking about something called dystonia, this dopa-responsive dystonia. So first of all, do you want to talk about why this came to you, why you were the expert on this uh, subject and what your experience was with it? Sure. So I end up, uh, so I see a lot of patients with abnormal movements. I've talked about that before, like tics and Tourette syndrome and things like that. Dystonia is the type of abnormal movement where you get kind of a slow twisting kind of posture of your, of your limbs. Okay. Okay. The most common one people might have heard about is cervical dystonia where you may have seen people who have kind of their neck is turned to one side. Another one that you see is writer's cramp. You know, we just think, oh, that's just because you write too much. That's actually a type of dystonia. It's called a task-specific dystonia. And so that's not really a cramp. It's it's more of a, of a, of dystonia. So Are these reversible, up, by the way? Are these uh, You could try dystonias? and treat them. We actually treat them with Botox in, in some of these muscles to help relax some oh, of the wow. muscles. Okay. Those, if you have a focal dystonia, we would often treat it with Botox. If you have a systemic dystonia that affects your whole body, you might treat them with medications. And in general, dystonia is difficult to treat except in this particular kind of form. So I will see patients with dystonia and um, sometimes they have this particularly rare form. And then when you say this particularly, you you mean the particular one that you spoke about yeah, on yeah uh, on this CTV this and this yeah. this dopa responsive dystonia yeah exactly okay so talk to me about what that is sure so what happens and the reason why this is such an interesting diagnosis is sometimes it can look like cerebral palsy so just to backtrack cerebral palsy is an injury that happens to you during early childhood or in the womb that causes a motor impairment so difficulty moving your arms, legs, you know, speaking, etc. It doesn't tell you anything about the extent of that, the cause of that, or even anything about intelligence, IQ, or things like that. Okay? It just tells you this is an injury that someone's had. So, again, often the most common cause of that is, again, some sort of injury, like lack of oxygen to the brain at birth or in the womb or something like that. That's the most common cause. So, and that will manifest itself as a child who has developmental problems as they're getting older. And so the problem is this this type of dopa-responsive dystonia, which is very, very rare, can also manifest as problems with your movement in the early part of childhood. So then there's the potential to be misdiagnosed as having cerebral palsy, when in fact you have this dystonia. And this was this news article. The title is a rare condition, sometimes mistaken for cerebral palsy. And that's what Mm. happened to this child. They had a diagnosis of cerebral palsy. And in the end, I'm not even sure how they ended up being referred to me. They're from up north, northern Ontario. And they were referred to me and I kind of saw them and it just didn't quite make sense that they had this cerebral palsy. So Yeah, so tell me about that because this is something, you know, often parents, even if you're not a parent for yourself, you would do this, but often people are like, this doesn't feel like this. I want a second opinion. What was it about this 
Right. Because in the article, it says that this mother was like, no, I want a second opinion. It doesn't feel like it's cerebral palsy. What was it that, t- it was she sort of, you know, a lay person, a non-medical? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not like it's not like she had a diagnosis in mind, but it was more, you know, th- there's got to be something else going on. So a couple of things. First of all, again, the patients are very alert, interactive. There's no cognitive problems. Again, it doesn't mean you could, you could have cerebral palsy and be totally have normal, you know, or advanced intelligence. Like th- that's not associated necessarily with cerebral palsy, mm-hmm. but that was one clue, very awake and alert. But the two things that were the strangest is the patient didn't have a history of lacking oxygen to the brain at birth, just was normal when they're born. That's a clue that, that doesn't quite fit. Okay. The second is when you do an MRI in patients, even if they don't have a history of like a lack of oxygen to the brain at birth, if you do an MRI scan, the MRI in patients with cerebral palsy is usually abnormal. Not always, but usually. So when you put those mm. two things together, to me, those are the two things that are very suspicious. A normal MRI and your birth was completely normal, and then you have cerebral palsy, it just, it's a bit funny. Okay, the but other, you, you were yeah. saying that these two things are flags, yeah. but you also said in that article that this is something many doctors will never come across potentially in their entire career. Right. Right. So it's very rare. That's the thing. This type of dopa responsive dystonia is very, yeah. is, is very uncommon. But, and there are other rare causes of cerebral palsy where you don't necessarily have a treatment, like in this patient, that could be the cause. So in other words, if you see a patient with what looks like cerebral palsy, but normal MRI and normal birth history, then you at least want to do some other investigations. Okay. The other thing about this is that the patient and patients with dopa responsive dystonia have something called diurnal fluctuation, where in the morning, they're pretty good after they sleep and rest. But as the day goes on, they get worse and worse and worse with regards to their symptoms. And that's another strong clue that you have this type of dopa responsive dystonia. Okay. Do we know what causes this? You yeah, said with do. cerebral palsy, you were saying that you do typically, it's lack of oxygen during birth is very common cause of cerebral palsy. So what is the cause of dystonia? Right. So this type of dystonia, because dystonia has a lot of different causes. Again, birth injury. In fact, lots of patients with cerebral palsy have dystonia because they have an injury to their brain, which is causing a problem with their movement. And the problem with their movement could be dystonia. So very common to see dystonia in patients with cerebral palsy, first of all. But this is actually a genetic problem. And it's caused by a mutation in what's called GTP cyclohydrolase 1. And this is a gene called GCH1. And basically, this is a gene that's involved in, to just keep it brief, in the pathway for the production of dopamine, essentially. And so having a problem with this impairs your ability to produce dopamine. And dopamine, we talk about it in like the reward circuit and and you know, gambling and addiction and things like that. The dopamine rush from checking your phone for you know likes on Instagram. But dopamine, in and of itself, has lots of functions. But one of the main functions in is motor control of movement. And so a lack of dopamine actually can cause dystonia in older people with Parkinson's disease. Parkinson's disease is a lack of dopamine producing neurons. So another way this can manifest is as Parkinsonism as well. So that's basically the problem. And so because of this, this gene that causes this dopa responsive dystonia, you're able to test it. Now there's a test for the, for the gene. You can test this specific type of dopa responsive dystonia caused by this gene mutation. You can also sometimes do a spinal tap, like a, what's called a lumbar puncture, where you put a needle in the spine and you withdraw fluid, and you can measure the levels of various neurotransmitters and neurotransmitter metabolites. You can't really measure dopamine directly, but you can measure some metabolites. By looking at those patterns, you can try and figure out where the blockage may be in the production of dopamine and whether this could be the diagnosis or not. Okay. The treatment that you went with was like nothing short of startling how well it works right like uh, yeah we say do we say like miraculous should we use that word i don't like to use the word miraculous too much but in this case these are miraculous things because the patients have difficulty you know controlling their body and their movement often it starts off in the legs so you, you start with those and it gradually kind of worsens over time. So you can imagine in some, if it's a baby who has it, they may just look like cerebral palsy. But older kids, they could be 
developing normally and then suddenly they have a foot that's kind of turning in and then it's the other foot and then it kind of progresses over time and often patients see orthopedic doctors to see if it's a problem with their bones or their ligaments or did they twist their ankle or something like that and it often takes a while the mean time to be diagnosed is years for these patients so they can be misdiagnosed for years and years and there could be a delay in diagnosis the treatment for these patients to give them extra dopamine and we give them the form of levodopa and levodopa is basically the same thing we give people with parkinson's disease to treat their symptoms because you give them extra levodopa and it's also was used in the movie awakenings when the patients had encephalitis lethargica remember that in awakenings everybody was kind of like you know, almost comatose and they gave it to them and they kind of like came out of their their comatose state. So we give that to them. And essentially, once you take this, if you have dopa responsive dystonia, you're completely back to normal. You have no motor problems. So just a complete, like, I mean, I I feel so weird using the word normal, but they just have complete normal function. They're walking. There's nothing wrong with the legs. You wouldn't even know that they ever had. No, they they live normal lives. So again, there's normal intelligence in these patients. And like you take it, most patients tolerate it really well. And then, yeah, they can just continue living their quote unquote normal life. And is it like a short term course of these, this medication that they're on? Or is it a lifetime thing? Because it could come back. They have to take it usually for for several years. There are reports of patients in kind of their late teens, early 20s who can sometimes have remission in symptoms. So what I usually just prescribe the medicine and I tell people, you know, as they're getting older, if they want to try and decrease the dose a bit to see if they still need it. And some of them, especially as the teenage years, they'll forget a dose here and there. And then they'll be like, oh, I totally had symptoms, which means you still actually need the medicine. Mm. So, so yeah, sometimes you can, you can improve over time as you get older. And also excuse my ignorance. No, don't excuse it. Embrace my ignorance mm-hmm. on this and also embrace the idea of me wanting a non-drug solutions as well. Aren't there things we do as human beings that increase dopamine, like just naturally the production of it in our body or with these particular patients, no. that is not an option? Yeah, not really. Like there's nothing that we can really do exogenously that can kind of do that. Like you can't just change your diet or something like that to get the amounts that you would need. It doesn't really work. You can't go, you can't exercise, you can't go to concerts, you can't like, you know, <laughs> You're do just things. Like, talk about like, everything you want to do. <laughs> Yeah. In your adrenaline, oh, that, that kind serotonin, of dopamine, no, dopamine. I know, know what you're saying, but remember, these patients, they don't have dopamine to release. You know what I mean? Okay. They have right, an impairment. Right, right, of, right. They don't have zero, right? Because that's why, like, when they replenish some of their dopamine overnight when they're sleeping, they are able to be remotely like a bit better during the the morning so it's not like they have zero dopamine but you can't same thing with like a parkinson's patient you have destruction of the neurons that generate dopamine in the brain so Mm. like there's no you don't have anything to produce it you know sure so let's wrap this up by talking again about cerebral palsy because you know i'm sure there was so many people you know who have cerebral palsy or loved ones who have it, who thought this might be like the miracle they were looking for. Yeah. And so sort of to temper that, because as you said, this is pretty rare. Mm -hmm. Why don't we just wrap up on saying like, when do you think about this? Yeah. You said there were two red flags, but is there more to that? Those those are the main ones, but I can get to a few more. Yeah. And you're you're absolutely right. Like when this news article came out, it's, it's, this was about 10 years or so ago. I think that this, I was on the news, my, my only claim to fame other than the podcast, Mm -hmm. you know, lots of people asking for referrals, like, oh, we need to be reassessed because I have cerebral palsy. I need to be looked at for this. My, so my adult neurology colleagues were like, yeah, okay. We're getting a lot of phone calls now for people who want to be reevaluated. So I think, as you said, the red flags are normal MRI, no normal birth history would be suspicious that maybe it's not cerebral palsy. And as time has gone on, there's lots of more and more genetic causes of cerebral palsy, not just dopa-responsive dystonia. This is just treatable. So that's why it's so important. But again, Mm -hmm. so maybe you would do a genetic workup for these patients, but also it, it comes down to the examination. In other words, did they have dystonia? 
like I said, lots of people with cerebral palsy have dystonia, but not all of them do. A lot of them have just what's called spasticity, which is a different kind of increased tone or kind of tightness of your muscles. And so by examining them, I can say, well, you actually have more spasticity, which is can be seen in dopa-responsive dystonia, but it's not really – you don't have a lot of actual dystonia, so you're probably not a candidate for this. So I think it's worth – everybody who has cerebral palsy – especially when they're young, should be evaluated by a neurologist to ensure the findings and to go over the history. And if you do have dystonia, basically every patient with dystonia should have a trial of levodopa at some point, just just to see if it, if it works, especially, again, if you don't have any of these red flags that would have a diagnosis of cerebral palsy. That's kind of a, any young person with dystonia should always be tried on levodopa just to There's see. There's going to be quite may... a rush on this drug at this point, Asif. Yeah. And, and, you, and so I used to be kind of like, well, you know what, what if a patient has cerebral palsy with a clear cause, birth injury, even if they have dystonia, I'm like, well, why would I treat them with, with levodopa? Why would you do this? Because they don't have dopa-responsive dystonia. We know they had birth injury. But I went to a talk by a neurologist from Stanford who basically said, yeah, but you don't know if they've had damage to dopamine-containing neurons or not, right? In the course of, say, the lack of oxygen to the brain at birth, different parts of the brain can be affected. It's not always going to be the same for each patient. And if they have damage to these dopamine-producing neurons, then maybe exogenous dopamine would help. So it's worth trying in, in patients with dystonia, and I try even in patients with cerebral palsy, as long as the dystonia is prominent. Again, you're not going to have the same quote-unquote miraculous response that these patients do, but it might help a bit. So I'll do a five- to six-week trial, see what happens. If you think it helped, that's great. If not, we'll just stop it. So now I do that kind of because of the advice of this neurologist from the U.S. Right. So if you guys want to see Asif Doja in his prime at his sexiest 10 years ago, We'll have a link to that CTV news piece and to that article, or has the news piece been scrubbed from the internet? I'll try and find the actual video. Definitely the article we can find, the video. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see if I can, I can figure it out. I have less gray hair, that's for sure. So that's good. Yeah. That's good. Okay, so that is our show for today. Let us know what you guys thought if you check out Star Trek Strange New Worlds with Ali Hassan, not a real Starfleet officer. Let <laughs> Unlike all the what, other what guys real Starfleet officers. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. I've been, uh, I, I think we sang its praises enough to encourage you to watch it and encourage others, you know. Get the whole family around this thing. And I don't say that because I make any money off of it. That money is made and then that's the end of it. But I, I do think this is is worth watching and it's done with so much passion and, and detail that it's, yeah, it's a really great product and something that I, I'm interested to know if non-Star Trek fans, yeah. people, not like anti-Star Trek, you guys are, are, you know, you're dead to us and hopeless, of course, but non-Star Trek fans, meaning you never had that love for this show and you're indifferent to it, I'd love to know what you think. So right in. Where can people connect with us, Austin? Yeah, drvcomedian at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, drvcomedian. Yeah, let us know what you think. Remember, always, if you could just tell one person you know about the podcast, we have lots of listeners. I know one of our listeners, Ellen, has been telling her friends about it in the neighborhood. We really appreciate that. And remember that although I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. Medical issues we talk about are for your interest in information only, and they're not medical advice. Please consult your medical professionals for actual medical advice. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.